Okay. Today, my guest is Professor Lemon Sandet. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Lemma as a person, Professor Sandet is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally, is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Sandet is a fellow of the AIB and the Financial Management Association. He was inducted into the Financial Economist Roundtable. He was awarded Ethiopian Diaspora Award for Exemplary Lifetime Achievements and Community Service. He has served as Executive Director, CEO of African Economic Research Consortium and is the founder and served as the founding director of the Center for Financial Policy at Maryland. Between 59 and 2008, he was ranked number 24 among 8,900 authors contributing to leading uh, finance journals. He has been elected twice to the board of directors of the American Finance Association, has served as the past president of the Western Finance Association, has served on editorial boards of leading finance journals. Uh, and recently in 2021, he was appointed to the Council of Independent Economic Advisors by the Prime Minister of Ethiopia. Thank you, Lema, for joining us. Thank you. First question, what did you want to become when you were a child? Interesting question. Um, in high school, I had passion for uh, engineering and physics. And um, uh, I went to the university to sign up uh, for entry into engineering or physics. And then I saw a long line or something else. There was apparently a new school of business uh, in Ethiopia, uh, founded by a consortium of um, institutions in the US and people were lined up. And then I switched my line, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I didn't even know what I was getting into. Uh, and it was business. And, uh, and then I thought uh, that if I simply put down as my first choice, given this stiff competition, I thought I would not get into this. So there was no risk of not getting into engineering. So I had my first choice and that's how the whole thing began. That completely changed uh, my, my career. Actually, in all these more than 170 uh, interviews, luck yeah. plays a lot of uh, actually very important role in people's lives. And you know, some people are determined from the first day to, to, to become an academic, but not really, not for everyone. Uh, luck actually has played in fact, my my uh, journey is totally uncharted. Uh, I don't want to go into every epoch. That, that fact, where I'm at now, is really an outcome of very uncharted journey for me. I'm curious, uh, Yama. Yes. Yes. So you were you you didn't uh, get into the engineering line. You got into the business school line. Then after Ethiopia, what happened? So, uh, so basically, I uh, came here uh, to get my master's uh, and then go back to Ethiopia because the, the, those were very good old days. Uh, Emperor Haile Selassie was still in power. So it was unusual for Ethiopians to go overseas and not come back, okay? And then what happened was when I was at uh, UCLA, uh, they had a pretty innovative structure of MBA two options. One was a more quantitative option, and you get that done within a year. And the other one was a regular option. 
And I was uh, funding myself um, uh, for the most part. I opted for the, uh, the one year option. And then as soon as I got done, I didn't want to go back immediately, okay? And then, um, and then I went to uh, my professor. I said, look, uh, I'm looking for uh, some options so that I can get money and then go back. And the guy said, why don't you apply for a PhD program? That's the other element of uh, uncharted territory. I think I won't stop her. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I, and then, and then my plan, by the way, was not even to finish the PhD program, to really stay and get, I knew that they, they give money. So my plan was to just stay for one year and, and go back to Ethiopia. Then things changed. <laughs> <That's what happened>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there was a change in government. Okay. That, that's what Ethiopian government. Ethiopian government. So, yeah. so basically, they, you know, and, and it ends up changing uh, by uh, trajectory, basically. Uh, from one of uh, wanting to get my master's and go back and have, uh, you know, professional life and then getting into this PhD. And then now, despite the fact that I have planned to stay there for a short term, then I got into instances for a longer term. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So uh, something that is not on your CV that people might find interesting about you, like your hobbies. Well, you know, uh, yeah, you may not believe this. Um, I tend to be spiritual. Uh, not in an organized sense, okay, like an organized religion. I'm a strong um, believer in praying. And, and then from this angle that uh, when we came to this planet, uh, we're not really, we are really beyond ourselves. So, so the whole idea of, uh, I don't even go to church regularly, but I have this um, uh, deep uh, notion that whenever I face challenges, I feel like there's somebody else with me, okay? So that is uh, something that I don't, I didn't put that on my resume, but I think has been uh, pretty important in my life. Okay, that was very helpful. Yeah. Uh, regrets, any regrets in life? Uh, yeah, okay, so, uh, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was had to stay on longer in the U.S. because of change in the government. And then that, the, that government did not change for about 17 years. So I had to go back <laughs> after 17 years of absence. And when I got there, they, these guys were very eager to get me involved at a high level, okay? And uh, so I was uh, given opportunities, and, and they knew, and I knew that these guys were very command mentality, very socialistic. So I took, I decided to take the opposite, the radical approach. And uh, when I was given a uh, an opportunity to lecture, I started talking about uh, privatizing and development of stock exchanges, even having stock exchanges to be domiciled in the headquarters of their party. <laughs> Okay, and there were big guys uh, listening there, and then as, as it turned out, uh, uh, that did not go very well. Okay, so, 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 so that uh, I think I should have done uh, proper due diligence, and also get to have information on the limits and the limits and the boundaries. Uh, so that I was out of bounds. Okay, and 
So I've actually learned a lesson from that as well. But did they give you a topic to talk about, or did, did no, you? I, no, no, that. The, it turns out they were actually considering me from one of the cabinet positions. Oh, <laughs> I see. They didn't give me a topic. They wanted me to talk about finance because I okay. my objective my objective was to shock them. Okay, to shock well, them. You, you, you achieved it. Socialistic <laughs> thinking, but the approach I took it ended up uh, being. Quite radical, and there was a, uh, a one of my classmates um, from the olden days. He was also given a position. He was minister. Became he already became minister of industry, so he was kind of confidant. And he was saying, "Wow!" <laughs> and he ended up talking to the prime minister, the second guy in command. They were, I was, they were shocked. Okay, but they, but they felt that I was totally outside the boundary. You know, so I see. Yeah. Well, you you learn something from uh, from it. Uh, the second question, the other follow up question: What did you learn from it? To due yeah. diligence, obviously. Yeah. Uh, what are you most passionate about? Okay, you know, uh, this is uh, in some sense another renewed uh, thing that happened to me. I started, uh, as you know, in in the mainstream finance area with international uh, dimensions, basically half and half. I'm, I'm what we call more of, more of an interdisciplinary researcher. Okay? Mm -hmm. And and then uh, after um, things moved, I was, at, I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. That's where I started my career. And they were very, very nice, really nurturing my professional uh, uh, success. And things went fast for me. Right? So, so when I came to Maryland, it was really, a, it's, it's, it's it was the same level. I already had chair professorship at Wisconsin. But once uh, I stayed for a few years in at Maryland, I started getting connected with uh, the motherland, basically Africa. Okay, so I started serving for uh, this uh, African Economic Research Consortium as a uh, as a resource person. You know that really um, got me to rethink my research beyond. Uh, writing, publishing, and getting citation, but seeing if this could actually impact libraries. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason I took um, a five-year leave of absence to, to head this institution. So, so, the, so the things that are still in my passion are, uh, how, do we, how do I bring paradigms in finance and my research and my interaction with policies so that I can impact libraries? That's, that's fair. Okay, and are you still active with the African Research Consortium? No, I'm not. I, uh, you know that uh, in academia, uh, universities do, uh, do not allow you to go away for an extended leave of absence. So, mm -hmm. so in fact, at the university, the maximum was three years. So I had to get an exception to get a five-year leave of absence, which is the full okay. term of uh, the uh, the. Uh, the CEO of that that entity, so so I have to come back. Otherwise, I would lose the job. Okay, so so but that my engagement now is going back to what I used to do for them. That is becoming a member of the international resource group. But that job opened up a lot when I came back to Washington. Uh, the reason was that when I was. Um, uh, exiting, had an exit interview with a board that I'm reporting to, that almost 18 members representing various governments 
uh, around the globe. Uh, so they, they said, uh, you know, uh, what is to be engaged with that? Uh, I thought they were saying I should come back. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not coming back. No, they said, no, there's a lot of stuff that's going in Washington. That has an impact on Africa. As it turned out, they were right, because as soon as I came back, I started getting calls. So that's why, that's why I got to be a member of the Brookings Distinguished Advisory Group. I got into the G20 compact uh, with Africa. And then, uh, you know, um, what the, what the Think Africa Partnership. So there's a lot of stuff that, that is happening in Washington and it's, it's ended up building up. It's, and in fact, it started clouding up a lot of what I'm doing. I have to go back and downsize my employment by 20% <laughs> to do that. Okay. Oh, I so, so I get engaged, but, um, but there are so many opportunities to get engaged with Africa from here. And that's what I'm doing. I see. And uh, then let's talk about uh, research in general uh, terms, yeah. about uh, how you see the next phase, next five to 10 years of IB research coming out. What do you think is going to take uh, importance uh, in the field? So uh, I think, um, uh, I guess the question, I'm going to answer this question based on my own biases, I think, okay. And in fact, my own wishes, basically. Uh, but I really think that we should embrace grand challenges, okay, facing society. Uh, for instance, uh, take COVID-19. Uh, what COVID-19 uh, really got us to be awakened is the positive and negative externalities of corporations and multinationals. So for instance, if you take uh, vaccine production, you know, the vaccine production, the Pfizer or Moderna, there's no way that they had internalized all those benefits. Definitely these are examples of positive externalities. But then you also have negative externalities, you know, uh, relating to uh, issues of say uh, carbonization or even bad governance. So, so, so really thinking more broadly about the, the traditional IB type decisions and corporate investment, financing, direct foreign investment, cross-border from broader societal impact standpoint. I think that that is going to get more attention. That's, and that's also a space that, uh, that I'm, uh, I'm getting into. And then, of course, as I said, as we also know, this, you know, this whole issue of uh, green, green economy uh, and uh, uh, climate change. Um, and the third is really my wish. Uh, I feel like there is a lot of uh, silo amongst disciplines, um, like finance, marketing, and you know, strategy. Uh, as a result, uh, the, the mainstream finance guys have difficulty communicating with them that is, that is finance and IP, right? Even like communicating gyps to the finance community, okay? And then I, I, I presume that's also happening in other areas as well. So, so greater integration uh, of IB research into their respective disciplines so that 
there will be no silo within and also with the respective uh, disciplines. In fact, this is something that we're actually trying pushing now with the GIFs in the finance, in the finance track. Okay. Yeah. About the grand challenges you started discussing, uh, uh, are we talking about uh, in general terms uh, in the world, in the globe, or are we talking about a specific area or is there anything specific to Africa that is going to be the driver uh, for that uh, context? So uh, Africa is definitely one example. In fact, I should have mentioned that because that's one area uh, which is grossly under-researched in IB. Okay. And uh, it turns out that by the way, Africa is very heavily researched in economics. In fact, there are Nobel Prize winners in economics, okay? Researching on Africa, but IB, so there is actually growing attention now. There is a slight growing attention. I'm actually sitting on a paper, which has been submitted to GIFS uh, on, on this issue. So Africa definitely is part of the challenge. And I'll say it's a grand challenge uh, because you have a horse of imperfections, intuitions, and, and governance, political economies, which are pretty much grand, is that right? And, and then really taking that, uh, taking the IB paradigms and also getting informed by the African uh, uh, specifics to actually uh, enhance IB research is one challenging uh, example that you mentioned. But I'm also, I was also broadly talking about grand challenges in terms of this uh, burning issues that we talk about, you know, the environment, you know, climate change, uh, the fintech, by the way, by the way, fintech, this is, these are financial uh, uh, technology enabled financial services. They have, they have IB, IB uh, implications. You know, we talk about financial entrepreneurship uh, globally, and, and these are actually cross-border. And so the, the technology uh, dimension, uh, that's an example of the finance part, but there are also other disciplines in IB that also would be uh, guided by, and then you have this, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning on 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 the on the analytical uh, side. So. Econ uh, has a very really well established stream in yeah. Africa studies for sure. Uh, how come IB, especially uh, our management journals, international business management, international management journals, uh, have been um, uh, less than stellar in this. Uh, you know, uh, um, the the issue uh, is is uh, not is endemic to IB. It is endemic to business research. Business research. I think IB being part of business. I see. I see this issue in marketing. I see the issue in uh, uh, in finance. I see in strategy. So really, this I is a business research phenomenon. Okay. And that is heavily under research. And, and I, think, I think that IB actually should take a lead, you know, given that there's a huge void uh, out there in the business. Economics, you know, uh, they were dealing with uh, global issues, you know, in the, in the macro, uh, and they were dealing with development issues. And you cannot deal with development by, without looking at low-income countries and Asia and India, Africa. So there, yeah, so so the, so the nature of the the paradigms that began in economics uh, are, are actually broader. 
But business is, you know, we, we kind of, it's almost like a private sector mentality, right? When it's like private sector mentality. And the other one kind of private public uh, space mentality. So, so I think, uh, so there's a, so there's a pretty uh, large gap that needs to be bridged. And I'm glad that you brought this up because I didn't actually put it in terms of research challenges, right? In the Africa, um, the regional gap, basically. You know? yeah. uh, so what are the, some of the, what are some of the initiatives that you're taking at GIPS uh, in your capacity to bring these issues to more forefront well, of uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. Um, one is um, we are using this track about uh, survey or you know survey uh, pieces or um, uh, like synthetic you know uh, papers. In fact, we have actually a couple of uh, commission uh, papers out there. And then, of course, now there is also um, uh, an initiative to bring Africa uh, into not not. I think your question is just. I, I don't think we have gone into the Africa yet. <laughs> in the okay. Something that 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 that. Uh, so um, so I think one of the one of the, one of the things that I've been kind of pushing for is uh, to have the the annual meetings. You know. Somewhere in Africa, like it could be Cape Town, it could be Nairobi, you know, and 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 this is one place where you can actually get, you know, early career African researcher to to get engaged. So about so by word of mouth, when we go to conferences, we're always mentioning this. But I think that we can actually do more by bringing in the institutional dimension, where um, they should, should also take AIB uh, to Africa. Great. Uh, who was your uh, about mentoring portion of the conversation? Yeah. Uh, who was your mentor when you were going through the PhD program? You mean advisor? Yeah, uh, I have actually dual dual advisors, and this, this another advisor, another uncharted. Uh, I don't know how much time I have. This another uncharted thing that happened. Okay, when I mentioned UCLA, is that right? So I got admitted into the USA, UCLA PhD program, but there was no money. At the time, uh, Governor Rockefeller, I don't know, Governor Reagan, he was governor of the uh, uh, state of California. He was anti-UC system, okay? So then I go to my professor. He told me to apply for the PhD program. I got him, where is the money? Oh, he said, I know another governor who's actually handing out tuition to foreigners. <laughs> and that turned out to be Governor Rockefeller, okay? So, so, so I applied. To two schools, uh, Columbia University, which I thought was a public school. I didn't know that Columbia was private, but I knew Columbia. And then he then he, he told me I should also apply to University of Buffalo. That was the heyday of finance, public. I didn't know much about it, but I applied. So I got uh, in into both of them. <laughs> okay, with money. So since I knew Columbia first, I went to Columbia, and then in a week. I go to somebody's office, I knock at the guy's office to get some help. And this fearsome guy shows up and said, don't see my office hours. <laughs> and I was planning to stay there. Remember, I was only planning to stay for one year anyway, you know, get money and go back with you. So then I flew to Buffalo, okay? And they gave me a red, car red carpet sweeping. And this was a heyday. <laughs> and so there's two that, like I got like really specialized mentoring. It was, 
then I became, uh, that's what happened. I, that's what, and then even with Buffalo, the main incentive for me was they were giving me more money and that would keep me for one year before I go back to Ethiopia, okay? But, so there were uh, uh, two guys, there was uh, uh, Andy Chen, he's a, a chair prof, at, uh, I think it's retired now, uh, uh, SMU. So the other guy, uh, he died. Uh, so, uh, and then so, the, so one very important uh, thing uh, for our cohort, uh, because Buffalo kind of declined after that, you know? Is, is that we became almost like buddies with faculty, okay? You have been, and there was a, this guy named Stanley Kahn. Uh, he was my, we were rivals. And we were in the same job market, getting interviews by the same schools. And then we, get, we were getting these offers from the same universities. And, and then we decided to go to the same university, <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we defended our thesis the same day. <laughs> interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> across the board, you've seen many PhD students. Uh, you've seen their common mistakes. What are some of the most major common mistakes okay. that doctoral uh, students maybe, make? Maybe the one thing that I wanted to mention um, is that. Um, how about a measure of success in producing students? Okay. So, uh, and at least one of them ended up becoming um, more prominent than I. Okay. So, I have, uh, for instance, uh, this guy who actually uh, became the editor of the Journal of Finance and became the president of the American Finance Association. Oh. Uh, Rick Green. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then and then I have Bob Damon, who also went to Carnegie Mellon, another yeah. uh, prominent guy. He became the dean at Carnegie, and then Craig Lewis at Vanderbilt, uh, SEC chief economist, is now a chair prof. You know, so I have a, I have a, a string of uh, professors, especially from Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Yeah. So I have a so that's really one thing that I'm really really uh, proud of. You know. And uh, in terms of mistakes, um, I don't have, I mean, really simple. For instance, um, when papers get rejected, the temptation is to shop around for another journal, right? And send it without, without doing anything about that paper. So, so one of the things that I mentioned is that you should always revise that paper based on the comments and suggestions that you got from the guy, even if that person has rejected your paper. First of all, of course, there'll be an improvement in what you're doing. Secondly, by the way, you'll be surprised. Sometimes the same, the same guys would end up getting that paper as another journal, you know? So that is, that is uh, kind of a, a common mistake that people tend to make. The other is, um, you know, there is, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a positive external, the entire profession is designed around externalities. So by the time you get your paper done, it's not just you, you know? So you, you write your paper, you make presentations, you get comments, suggestions, and there is there's a kind of free positive externality out there, conference event, conference organ, or you should take full, full utilization of that. 
because uh, uh, yeah, of course we don't cite everything. We don't we don't we don't say about everyone that the office is, is my course, but nonetheless there is access to a positive technology. Um, uh, the other is uh, uh, writing and writing. I mean, you keep on writing. I mean, communication is is key. And and sometimes they they kind of you know you, you they take they take this approach, start kind of building up and building up, saying that maybe towards the end, okay, I go to the punchline. See, that's not a good strategy. You should get the punchline across immediately in the paper, immediately before. It, so uh, a lot of people do not even read. You know, sometimes they read your abstract, their conclusions. Maybe they go to uh, introduction. So it's it's so getting this uh, this uh, early on is is uh, is really important. And of course, uh, you should have a thick screen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. So some of these workshops could be could be could be very radical, you know. Uh, in fact, what I said in Ethiopia, the radical lecture that I I provided is actually penis related to the radical lectures that we see in University of Chicago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was too radical for another audience, but it was not radical. I was coming from this academic, you know, academic background, you know. Uh, <laughs> So I think I think as a result, as a result, um, took me a while. You know, early on, um, you know, we also tend to go through this Chicago type kind of um, confrontational. You know, we, we used to do that, and I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm thinking that um, you don't, you really don't have to be as confrontational. You can actually take your message across, and this is. Uh, so uh, kind of, I'm calm down, okay. <laughs> so, so, so my, my advice is really you you be calm. You don't have to be kind of you know, the whole the whole notion of negative negativism, you know. You know, um, you know the. So it's it's no, uh, you know, there are those who actually thrive in destroying people people's professional life, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think that we we need to resist the that temptation. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, for the sake of time, what's the yeah. last question? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, what's the question I should have asked you about evidence? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I I think that you should probably maybe maybe I should have been asked about my engagement with the diaspora you know there you go yeah yeah you've been african ethiopian the value proposition of diaspora and um and i and i become even much more aware as a result of this u.s uh, africa summit you know there was a huge summit uh in december it was 44 african leaders coming to washington dc you know Oh, yeah, but you yeah. know that. Yeah, Africa. So, so the U.S. is now very big on Africa, uh, and in part because of you know, China. You know, China is big. You know, so they are actually going in a big way. And what is interesting is that they are they are playing uh, 
they're actually incorporating the diaspora input. And, and they've been actually, they've actually used it, you know? So that I think, um, and that is, uh, in some sense, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing about going back to Africa and doing, you know, member of ARC, I would not have been doing that if I were not African diaspora. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think so. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think that by the way, that could be one of my, one of the research agenda items for, uh, for AIB too, you know? You know, this, it, first of all, even when you take to take remittances, and I, I think that's probably true for, for many countries now, and for many African countries, it is ahead of direct uh, foreign investment. I mean, the Belt and Road initiatives uh, yeah. are, uh, are mostly misunderstood. The American mentality yeah. is different than the European mentality, the yes. Turkish mentality, the Chinese yeah. mentality. Uh, the, these corridors are uh, mostly misunderstood. They look at it as the Silk Road again uh, is yeah. being revived. Uh, the magnitude of the investment and the ideology behind these um, mm -hmm. initiatives are completely different. Yeah. And uh, there's so much to do actually on on uh, how people are approaching it. Is it going to be a new colonial? Mm -hmm. uh, effort or not mm -hmm. uh, by some yes. uh, thank you so much uh, what's, what's your which country do you come from you have an accent like me also so... I'm Turkish oh okay yeah yep so um, thank you for your time I enjoyed our conversation a lot uh, I look forward to keeping in touch and um, uh, I'm sure the audience will agree thank with you. me yeah. this was very helpful so you're turning off the recording Yes.